Hello again. We are in a series called I Choose. I Choose. So if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll be able to tell me what we've been talking about. <laughs> Sunday school answer, always. Purpose over popularity. Surrender over control. Discipline over regret. Yes, that's what we've been looking at. The choice between purpose over popularity, surrender over control, and tonight, discipline over regret. I believe, it's amazing that you chose that, that passage. That's what I was talking to you about last week, right? Isn't that amazing? Um, and that's really awesome about how God can take us out of the mud and the mire and set our feet on the rock. And if you believe that just 1%, this evening, then I believe tonight there will be significant release in this place for you. Just 1%. You need to believe that. What do you want most? What do you want most? And what do you need to do to achieve that? I think Lucy's got a picture of a, a ring-tailed monkey. Bing! Or we will have. Uh, they are a delicacy to Zulus in Africa, ring-tailed monkeys. But they're quite difficult to catch. They're quite agile. But the Zulus have found a way of catching them. I won't show you how they catch them. But they get this coconut, basically. They drill a hole in the top. They're just big enough for a monkey to get its hand in. And then they hollow it out, and they put melon or cooked rice in it. Then they tie a rope to the uh, melon and to the base of a tree. And the monkeys come along because they can smell the food. And they go, yummy, yummy, yummy. And they stick their hand in and they go and they make a fist to try and grab the food out. But of course, once they've made their fist, they can't get their hand back out of the hole. So what happens is that they, um, they run up the uh, top to the top of the tree and of course the rope kind of goes tight and bam, monkey falls back down again. But monkeys are a little bit stupid like that. And of course, they don't want to let go of this delectable food that they've got in their fist. So they go back up the tree, bam, and come back down again. Well, after a few attempts of doing this, the monkeys get a little bit tired. So along come the Zulus, and bam, smack the monkeys over the head, monkey stew with rice. Yeah? We're a bit like that. We get hold of something so tight, and we think it's delectable. We hold it so tight, so tight even to the point where it may even be killing us, but we're not willing to let it go. And you know, we're like these monkeys. Yes, I did just compare you all. I like comparing you all to animals, right? I've just compared you to a monkey. Just be glad my illustration didn't involve a monkey like this. Jess was asking me before, is there a point where we should laugh? <laughs> okay, we are in the book of Romans tonight. If you have a Bible with you or you can see on your app, do get it out for us. We're in Romans 7. And we'll be starting halfway down at 15. Romans 7, 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. 
And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, I know some of you are thinking about my shirt at the moment. I've had a lot of comments about this shirt today. Um, Somebody even said I look younger in it. I do appreciate that, so just to carry it out, I've got my very own youth Bible that I'm reading from tonight. In the text, it's written by Paul. Many of you will know Paul. If you're not sure about Paul, he is the greatest missionary Christian probably to ever have lived and wrote a large part of the New Testament. And in it, he constantly goes, I, 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 I. And it's not a stutter. It's not past tense. It is... That's good. No, that wasn't. That's all right. You can laugh. Do you want to get it out? Good. It's not a stutter. It's not past tense. It's actually present tense. Here is one of the greatest Christians of all time, the greatest writers of Christian history, struggling with something. I, I, I. And he's talking about himself. It's his actual experience of the Christian life as he lives it, day after day after day after day. And it's a life of struggle. For those of you who aren't familiar, as I say, Paul is a great Christian figure and here he is admitting his struggle. And it's a deep personal struggle. What's his struggle with? His sin. Or for this purpose, his regret. Paul's struggles, I would like to say, and our struggles come in three parts. His regrets and our regrets come in three parts. First of all, if you think about 15 to 17, we have the struggle to live up to what you know you ought to do and to be. Paul says in verse 15, I do not understand what I do. I do not understand what I do. What an amazing confession. I do not understand what I do. You can hear little children say that all the time. When they throw a rock through a window or break a plate or hit their brother or sister and you ask them, why did you do that? And I say, I don't know why I did it. I don't know why I do what I do. What Paul is saying is true for him, is true for all of us. I don't know why I did that. There are times in life when we do stupid things. When someone asks us why we did it, the only answer we can give is, do you know what? I don't actually know why I did that. 
Why did you say that? The only answer we can come up with is, I don't know why I said that. Why did you go to that place? Why did you make that deal? Why did you visit that website? Why did you break that promise? Why did you say those words? And the only answer we can come up with is, I don't really know why I said that, why I did that, why I went there. Something, something just moved within me and I did it. But I know I regret it. What is it you've said or done or continue to do and say that you just think that is plain stupid? I know that isn't what God wants. We know the good, but we don't do it. We know the discipline, yet we choose regret. We know what's wrong and we fight against it and then we do it anyway. We say I will and then we don't. We say I won't and then we do. We make a promise, then we break it. We set a goal and we don't go after it. We say I'll never do that again and we do it. We get on our knees and we say, God, I will never do that again. And then the next day we do it again. That is the truly human experience for all of us. Someone once said that Paul, have we got any golfers in? Paul must have been a golfer because they know that uh, they look and they know that it is going to break right. So they hit it to break right and the ball breaks left. It's just the way it happens. That which you do, you don't do. The thing that you don't want to do, you do. The human situation. What is that thing for you? Maybe there are many things. What is the thing that's coming to mind right now? I know the Spirit will be convicting people right now of what it is because he's doing that work in me. The second struggle to come to grips with is repeated personal failure. Isn't that great? You thought tonight was going to be encouraging, right? Paul says in verse 19, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you'll understand those words. They'll make sense to you. If those words don't make any sense, maybe it's because you haven't come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because those of you who are following him will know in your hearts this deep, profound sense of the stuff that you do is wrong, that you hate doing, that you know is sin, that which separates you from God. It's been said that the closer you come to God, the less you will sin, but the more of a sinner you will realise yourself to be. C.S. Lewis, a great author and uh, theologian, put it this way, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. What is it that you regret this evening? What is it that you're fighting against? The third struggle to admit is the true nature of the war within us. If you look at um, 21 to 24, verse 21, Paul says, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. The Greek word for right there with me means right beside me. It means I am here and evil is here, glued right beside me. 
as if it's my Siamese twin. And that battle goes on every Sunday evening. You are a good-looking congregation. After 18 months, some of you are beginning to understand my sense of humour. <laughs> you look nice in church. But behind every smiling face is a story of struggle and heartache and despair and defeat and victory and cowardice and bravery and fear and courage all mixed up together in one great big melting pot. Though we look good on the outside when we come to church, in truth, if we could see our souls, it would be like we were coming out of Borneo in World War II or having done 10 rounds with Mike Tyson. That's what life is like. Some of us barely even make it to church because we've had such a difficult week. I wish I had that excuse. It reminds me of the story of the mum who told um, his boy, it was early one Sunday morning, that you have to go to church. She came into his bedroom and said, you've got to go to church, son. You've got to go. And he said, I don't like it there. They don't like me. I really don't want to go this morning. She said, you've got to go. You're the vicar. Spiritually, emotionally, and even physically, in every way we may have struggled through the last seven days. And I want you to know that that is okay. That is all right. To struggle. It's okay to admit the truth that you struggle. We'd all rather think, I look good, you look good. So I haven't got any problems and you haven't got any problems. But the truth of the matter is that healing cannot begin until we say, I am not okay. I am not all right. There is a battle going on inside of me and I am really struggling and sometimes I can't make it. And if that's you, then we would love to pray for you tonight. Thankfully, St. Saviour's is exactly the sort of place where we can let all of that hang out. And regularly we do. Tonight, our prayer team would love to pray with you. Here is another opportunity for you to come and say, I am struggling. If you're struggling, if you feel there's a war within you, you have a lot in common with one of the greatest writers in Christian history, with Paul, St. Paul. You're in good company. And many of us are going to struggle with sin for many, many years. We're going to win some battles. Through Jesus Christ, we're going to win a whole load of battles. We're going to know significant amounts of victory. Through Christ's victory on the cross, we are redeemed, restored, forgiven, made new. But I am telling you, we are going to win some and we are going to lose some. We're going to get knocked down and we're going to get back up again. We're going to keep on struggling and with the help of God one day, we're going to win the battle. We will never ultimately win the battle until we are face to face with Jesus Christ. But until then, we can know significant amounts of victory. But there is going to be a war. How else do you explain great saints 
who fall by the wayside. How else do you explain seemingly godly people who fall into adultery? Or how can you explain Christian Sunday school leaders who admit heinous crimes? Or how do you explain God's people giving into anger and bitterness and rage and gossip and all the rest? The only way I know to explain it is the reality of the indwelling sin that we all have. The struggle we face, the battle to choose discipline over regret. I don't know if you're familiar with Robert Louis Stevenson. Uh, He wrote a book called Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. The story is all about the good Dr. Jekyll, who's working on a potion that will allow him to become another person, to become the man, Edward Hyde. The two men could not be more different. Dr. Jekyll is nice and well-respected, a bit like me, whereas Edward Hyde is malicious. He's a cold-blooded killer. No. Uh, uh, These two men, they uh, fight to gain control over the body in which they both live. A classic uh, novel of right and wrong, a battle of good and evil. Stevenson was asked, where did you find the model for your characters, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? And he said, I found it. I found them in my very own nature. He was a Christian and he had learned there is a battle raging inside each and every one of us, inside of him. I found it in my very own nature. Have you ever been caught in a place where you knew what God was asking you to do, but instead you chose to do something else? You are not alone. I am not alone. You try to be patient, but in a flash you have striked out. The words that you said have done their damage. You thought you had broken the grip, but you listened to the whisper of the old nature and you found yourself back in that place. And now you feel like a failure. You knew you should have steered clear, but before you knew it, you have found out that you are weaker than you think. You do not live up to the standards that you know are right, and now all you feel is stupid, even dirty. And in Paul's words, wretched. We all fail. We all give in. You see me, you see a check shirt. You may see respectability. But if you knew what was going on in the inside, does the fact that you struggle make you a failure? No. Does it make you a bad person? No. Does it make you a loser? No. Does it make you a substandard Christian? No. What it makes you a perfect candidate for the grace of God. A perfect candidate for the grace of God. A vicar I heard of carried this sin around with him. And it's a burden that had been weighing on his heart for many years. He had repented. He had turned back to God. But still he had no sense of peace. No sense of God's forgiveness. In his parish there was a woman who deeply loved God. Who said she had visions in which she spoke to God. And that God answered. And um, she said, um, I'll speak to God for you if if you would like. And he was quite sceptical but said, okay. Okay. The next time that you speak to God, if you uh, ask him 
what sin it was that your vicar committed back in Bible college. And the, the woman agreed. A few days later, the vicar saw her and asked, well, did God visit you in your dreams? Yes, he did, she replied. And did you ask him what sin I committed in Bible college? Yes, I did. Well, what did he say? He said, I don't remember. The scriptures tell us that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed your transgressions from you. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed your transgressions from you. The scripture goes on to say, You, O God, will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. God is so gracious, so very gracious. Not only does he forgive us our sins, but he separates us from them as far as the east is from the west. And then he throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. Discipline. What do you think of when I say the word discipline? Maybe it brings up all sorts of connotations about school or home. Or if you're a Christian, maybe you start thinking about fasting or study or prayer or other disciplines that will help to teach us, to train us to be more like Christ. As far as I know, there are only three things you can do with your sin. Number one, you can deny it. Many people will do that and they will live with regret all of their life and beyond. Number two, you can try and deal with it on your own and I can tell you that will not work. Number three, number three, there's discipline. You can admit your failings and you can turn to Jesus Christ and there you will find the discipline of forgiveness. It's the one discipline you need to know about tonight. The discipline of forgiveness found only in Jesus Christ. We are broken and we cannot fix ourselves. You, my friend, are a cracked pot. to rely on God to rely on God to fix what is broken what you cannot fix have we got any plumbers in tonight no if you hired a plumber to come in and rework the plumbing in your house and when they were done none of the plumbing worked right what would you do would you hire that person to fix your plumbing again of course you wouldn't when we convince ourselves that we can fix our own lives it's a bit like hiring the same person who messed up the house to begin with Instead, you will need to call on your creator, your redeemer, and your sustainer. You will need to call on the one who loves you like no other. And I happen to have his number. You don't have to be defeated, although sometimes you will. You don't have to stay in the mud and the mire. 
I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. There is a provision for victory, a provision for walking in the Spirit, a provision to help you with the struggle with regret, to choose discipline over regret. And it's not a formula. He's a person. It's not something on the outside that you can do. It's a moment-by-moment dependence on him and his grace and his forgiveness and realising that his love and his power is enough to rescue you this evening. Jesus' love and power is enough to radically transform your life.